Hello, World Cup Chasers, or should we say, Bienvenue, Chasseurs de Coupe du Monde. Bonjour, Mike, bonjour. <laughs> Je m'appelle Michel, that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, as you can tell, it's the French episode. We are here to round out <laughs> Pool A, Group A, with France. So we've done England, we've done Greece, we've done Samoa. So we've got to do France. Now, as trailed on the last episode, Cabs, we got a pretty good guest for this one. It was a bit of a bit of a stretch, really, because we try and get somebody from every team. However, France don't have a single player based in Australia that we can talk to in person, but they do have a coach. Exactly. They have a coach, or should we say a coaching... Is it coaching director? Is He's that... a director of rugby. The director of rugby. So he does a little bit more than coach, which we're going to hear in the interview. And, and, and Mike, welcome to me. You normally welcome me, you know, Michael Carboni, Chasing Kangaroos. Yeah. Michael Carboni. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, little, little, spo- uh, little peek behind the curtain. We've been recording two episodes back to back. So it feels like we've been talking for an hour anyway, which is why, <laughs> which is why you haven't introduced me to our listeners. But they know who I am, surely. Um, yeah, they but- do by this stage. They think, who's that guy? We should shut up. <laughs> who is that guy? Please be quiet, Carbs. But yeah, mate. Let's just get straight to Trent Robinson because that's what the people are here for. The the coach, the man, the the, the re- director of rugby France. Yeah, and I have to say, like again, how how the sausage son is made here because I think it, it speaks to Trent, right? So obviously Trent Robinson is a very busy man. What what with being coached as the Sydney Roosters who were playing in the finals, but I cornered him after a game and was like, Trent, we just did a post post match press conference, and I was like, Trent talk to me about France. They've got no, you've got no, they've got no player space here. I got to get somebody. And honest to God, he could not have been more enthusiastic. And you think this is a bloke who's got a hundred reasons not to do it. And as soon as I mentioned France, he was like, yeah, time and place, tell me when. And then he gave us way more of his time than I thought I was going to get two minutes of how great a France. And he gave me 15 minutes of really, I thought, well thought out stuff. So listen to it now. Écoutez toi. Écoutez vous, actually, because there's more than one of you, I hope. <laughs> I'm sure there's more than one of you. Um, oh, God. Do you know, I used to speak French really well, and there's probably a hundred people listening to this going, God, that guy's an idiot. He can't speak French at all. I did used to be a translator back in the day. Do you know that? <laughs> no, I did they not. Used to, they used to take me on amateur tours to France, and I'd have to like babysit all the football <laughs> players, and uh, there's a good reason I don't do it anymore. <laughs> anyway, here is me with Trent Robbins. Bienvenue, Kangaroo Chasers. Nous sommes ici avec le directeur de rugby pour l'équipe française de rugby à 13, Monsieur Trent Robinson. Bonjour, Trent. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Ça va bien. Trent, thanks so much for speaking to us. Um, firstly, I think people, obviously, they'll know you from your work at the Roosters, but they might not necessarily know that you're involved with the French team. So maybe give an overview about what it is that you're doing and how you're helping Laurent Frassinou in his job. Yeah, so... Uh had contact with uh, with Luke, the president, and Laurent when he was uh, being offered the job of uh, the, the French coach. And then I, uh, yeah, I, big interest for me in, in wanting to sort of assist the French with my spending six years there in a couple of different coaching and playing roles and my partner and my kids being French. So, uh, 
yeah, it was a it was a role that I really wanted to assist Lauren in in the French rugby league role, but then also having a slightly longer term sort of view as well in in uh, getting French rugby league back to a better spot internationally. That's that's the real passion for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting. France are kind of a unique situation in this World Cup as well, because whilst everybody's excited about the tournament at the end of this year, their big goal is obviously twenty twenty five when they host the tournament. So your role is very Definitely. much long term, going through to that, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, I've spoken to Luke about uh, we were, you know, assisted in a really small way for the bid uh, from from this end for twenty twenty five, and and the announcement from the government that was great to participate in that. Uh, and it's a big moment for, for French Rugby League to have a World Cup on French soil uh, solely and then also uh, the development of other parts of the game, not just the men's game, but women's uh, wheelchair uh, is, is also, uh, and youth, the four areas of the World Cup. So uh, very much an eye towards 2025 for the French. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested as well because you're, obviously people will know the story of French Rugby League. I think it's a pretty well-known story, but... In terms yeah. of what's happening in the future, what you know, every time you talk, I feel like you talk a lot about values and culture. What what does that mean in the context of France? Like, I feel France has got a very unique rugby league culture that people wouldn't be aware of. So maybe talk a little bit about what what those values and culture are in a French context. Well, this is the interesting, Mike. For me, I, I'm you know I have my understanding of it, but I've been involved with Toulouse and Catalans, the two professional teams, but I haven't been involved with the French team. So I'm interested, for me, even. To, to see what the values are when I go in and then how do I affect that from my understanding from the two professional teams, but also from the, the history of, of rugby league. I'm a big believer in uh, the DNA gets passed down through the jersey, whether we un- whether we consciously know it or not. So the history of French rugby league and, and the struggles um, through definitely, obviously, the, the, the Vichy race, uh, regime and and the banning of the the game uh, in '46 and then and then the, the the taking of grounds and 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 also uh, uh, clubs uh, off rugby league that was a big part um, in the history of rugby league and and that stemmed to even when I went in the early 2000s I could feel that that tension uh, from way back then and then. Obviously, through the the glory days of the fifties and the seventies, um, that that very much they're the last bastions of of the great sort of French rugby league teams. Um, so holding on to that sort of tradition, but also that fire that comes with with the French and and the history of rugby league. They've had to fight for their history their whole time. Um, but how do we how do we transform that into a modern day uh, successful national team? That's the question I have to work out as well. Yeah, and I guess there's a balance there between what you need to do from a director, sort of a high-level position, and what Lauren's going to do on the day-to-day to actually get a, you know the best possible team on the field. So how much interaction do you have with Lauren on that? or you know, And, and how much are you trying to assist on, on the day-to-day running of a team on a field? Yeah, so that's the, that's the slight separation for me in, in the head coaching. Lauren's the coach. You know, and he his job is to, to coach the team, and he's obviously on the ground there, and and that's been uh, and, and I have a lot of contact with Lauren, um, and then a part of that is my discussions um, earlier in the year were around 
setting up a, a more of a program? What are the different areas outside of purely coaches and players that need to uh, improve for us to, to be a, a better international team? So uh, the contact between the board and the federation and uh, Lauren, that's my role, uh, and to give him some perspective on that. So definitely uh, I'll, I'll be assisting uh, the coaches and the team and the players when it comes to the World Cup, um, but also observing what needs to happen from a more of a medium-term perspective. And it's, it's sort of an interesting role. I think a lot of people who are listening to this who aren't au fait, if you excuse the pun, with French Rugby League won't yep. know who Laurent is, but Laurent's basically like a living legend of French Rugby League. You know, he's from a pre-Super League era. I remember him turning up on Challenge Cup ties, you know, to play against English teams and thinking, who the hell is this book? He's, he's the best player on the field. Yep. Yeah, Laurent was an amazing player. Just a beautiful sort of, yeah, they had a great combination, Julian Rinaldi and, and Laurent Fresson, who's the, the both um, good mates from Villeneuve and they grew up, playing in the, the French teams and Villeneuve and then also UTC into Catalans. Um, and their, his ability to, to kick and to manage a game was exceptional. You know, he's only ever been slight, Laurent, like he is now. Um, but he was, uh, yeah, he was a, it was a typical conductor on the field. Um, and then went into uh, coaching uh, with Mick Potter and Kevy Walters and then myself, and then took over as head coach. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he's had a couple of little different coaching roles since that time. Uh, but, yeah, to the, to the French team now, it's, um, yeah, it's, he, he brings a lot of knowledge both in coaching and playing. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, obviously, a lot of people might not have heard of him who, don't, who didn't watch that era of French rugby league. But, like, it would be like Wally Lewis running around with the Australian team in terms of the, the cachet that he brings to those players, right? Yeah, so that I mean that's the other part is I talked about the the fifties and the seventies, and there was a couple of years there, and I got to watch them those guys when they were coming up to the the, the initial start of the Super League where they really took on New Zealand and Australia in the early two thousands. I think it would have been two thousand and four five or three four where they really took, I think it might have been three four where they really took on Australia at Toulouse and also New Zealand in Carcassonne. Um, and Lauren was a part of those teams where they really went after those teams on their tours uh, and narrow losses to, to both of them. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, the, the makings of it of are there, um, but it's about making it 2022 for us, about building it up to, um, you know, international rugby leagues building now across the world. It's... There's a lot of interest. I think we've had with COVID uh, the the idea of travel and getting back overseas, but there's been some internationalism around rugby league as well, which has created great interest from Australian end. Um, and, and we need to, to we need to really push forward as a French team. Yeah, and and you mentioned there, of course, the team that's going to compete at this end of the year might be the strongest sort of since that era as well, especially with having two Super League teams worth of talent in the squad. Um, I wouldn't obviously, again, a lot of people might not know these players who don't watch Super League. Who, who should fans be looking out for from the French side who are really going to impress them? Yeah, obviously, um, in the halves, we've got, um, uh, we've got 
Tio Farge, who's, who's playing a lot of games at Catalans and, and playing really well and quite a dynamic player. Um, uh, sorry, Tio Farge at uh, Huddersfield, who's led St Helens to, to many victories. And then um, Arthur Morg, who's playing a lot more games for Catalans at the moment, more dynamic, um, intuitive player. Um, so those two uh, are really exciting for us, having decision makers that are making decisions every single week. Um, uh, so that's uh, that's really important. Ben Garcia, obviously captain of the Catalans, um, yeah, and leading the way there in the pack or at the back of the pack there. Um, uh, so that's that's really good. We've got quite a few forwards that are playing lots of minutes at the moment uh, in in the Super League. So that's a that's a real positive. Um, yeah. So, but the, the the halves and then the leadership of Ben are really key to our. Uh, to our World Cup. Yeah, and the other aspects, obviously, is that Toulouse, you know, for years and years and years, France picked out quite a small talent pool in terms of people who had full-time, week-to-week professional experience. Now they've got two whole teams to pick from. I think I did a squad preview and there's basically, it's going to be about, you know, 95% players who play yep. from those two teams plus Teo Farge and I think Morgan Escrow is actually injured now from Celtic. Yep. But it's going to be a real, you know, everyone is coming out of a first grade competition that's, that's pretty strong week to week. And teams, in terms of the Catalans, who are very strong within that competition. Um, obviously, you, you've got a long association, sort of a living legend of, uh, of Toulouse. I wonder what your thoughts have been on them in terms of this year, but also going forward to 2025 and their continued participation in Super League. Yeah, it's obviously uh, difficult with Wakefield winning last weekend. Um, and the, uh, the the four point gap, you know, with a with only a few games to go, it's uh, um, it's a, that was a tough uh, even loss for them on last weekend. So, um, and it, and it's uh, I think the the nicest way to say it, it was quite a disturbance at the start of the year with uh, the vaccine protocols and players choosing uh, to play and not to well to. Get vaccine, get the vaccination or not, which you know that, that I'll leave that up to their choice. But just the the declaring of that with Toulouse really threw about their their start of the season, and that was really difficult for them. Um, they had to recruit whilst in the in the middle of the season, and it's put them on the back back foot um, for continuing in the Super League. But um, whilst there's still a chance, we'll, we'll keep cheering them on. And it's vital to have the balance. You know, it's always going to be a mix of, um, you know, English, French and Australian and New Zealand players in the professional teams. And that's normal. Um, But we want as many players in full-time programs as possible. And I feel like Toulouse had their first year, and and I'll talk about the French players, had their first year of understanding what that level takes. And that's really important. That's really important for them to step up into Super League and then understand that this is a, another level from Championship. This is what professionalism means. And then you go to a World Cup, which is another step up again. Um, and that's that understanding to have two professional teams is vital uh, for the future of French Rugby League. And I have to say, as well, so one last question is, obviously you were there what, in the early 2000s. What can you see now from that, which was, I have to say, I, I remember going to the Watch Utah say in about 2004 or five, and it was a yep. fairly amateurish setup. And you compare that to where the Catalans are now, and it's night and day. And obviously, Toulouse is a little bit further back along that, but still getting there. 
what were your experiences in that early period compared to to what you see now? Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to obviously go over and play at Toulouse, you know, sort of two thousand and two to till six as a player and coach, and then I was got to go back to the Catalans from for eleven and twelve, and, and even seeing the difference in uh, what Bernard and uh, the Catalans have done there from their inception at uh, I think it was two thousand six season um, through until that time was incredible. The amount of work they put in, and then right through to now with Challenge Cup wins and Grand Final appearances, um, they keep pushing what professionalism looks like in in rugby league in France, which and in Super League. So that's a huge positive. And then Toulouse are just uh, they're starting out that process. I know Bernard and also um, uh, uh, Sylve, Sylvain. Um, uh, really cognizant of the work that needs to be done there, and and it's it's night and day compared to 20 years ago, um, and that's you know, but also the progression that's night and day from what what it was, um, but then what happened? The, the the slight thing that we need to understand is that French players were making, as you, we talked about earlier, Lauren. Ronaldi, those sort of players were making all the decisions about when they were winning and losing games. So the and they were the, the big decision makers in the competition. Now that we've become more professional, uh, a lot of those decision makers have become foreign players. And so even though we've got advancement in professionalism, we just we, we want the French players making as many decisions as possible, and that's up to them to to continue to progress. Uh, as players, so we can we can you know for Artur Mog, for him like Tio has done at uh, Huddersfield and St Helens is be the player that 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 answers the question when it comes to the money time the sixty to eighty minutes and they're the players we need they're they're the players we want to continue to develop in the in the next period of time. Trent, that's so good. Thanks so much for your time. Merci beaucoup. Dorian, Dorian. That was Trent Robinson. Thanks again to Trent for giving us so much of his time. Thanks to Sydney Roosters for helping us with that interview, which took a bit of setting up, but I thought it was great. Mate, absolutely sensational. And once again, great work to you. You've got all the talent on World Cup chases, mate. We've had James Graham. We've had Lachlan Elias. We've had Peter Mamatsoulis. We've had Jerome Luai and now Trent Robinson. Thanks to you and, of course, our friends at The Raw raw.com.au who we couldn't be doing this without our partners in crime for world cup chases and mate trent robinson incredible um you you sort of mentioned it at the beginning right the only team at this world cup who will not field a single nrl player or player who's had nrl experience um but absolutely jam-packed with super league talent for the first time ever there won't be a single player who hasn't played Super League, I don't think, or you tell me if I'm wrong. Well, you say they've got no NRL experience. That's not actually true because they've got two players. Well, one player who's played NRL who is Sami Sonny Lange, oh, who's Anto- naturalised. Uh, and Tony Tony Gigo did yeah, play, Gigo. play at the uh, Sharks, I'm going to say, but I don't think he actually played in the NRL. I don't think um, he made the NRL, no. And But did did um, Sami Sonny Lange play NRL? 
Or did he, he did, come through he did, the grades? He did. No, no, no. He, yeah, he played in the NRL. Um, I'm really hope I'm not wrong on that, but I'm 99 percent sure he did. Um, but look, I think this is going to be a good advert for the Super League because one of the things that France have lacked for years has been a quality of talent. They've always produced a few good players. You know, you think of Remy, Remy Casti, obviously yep. played in the NRL for the Roosters. Um, even guys who are in this team, like guys like. Um, Ben Julian, L.O.I. Policier, like who've been in French teams before, where they have been by far the best players. Yeah. And, you know, they're picking guys out of Elite One who obviously don't have that week to week experience. Everybody in this has got week to week experience, you know. And you look at not just that they're Super League players, but there's really good Super League players. You know, Teofage is one of the best halfbacks in Super League. Um, Fuad Yaha, top try scorer in the history of the Catalans. Ben Julian, Ben Garcia, obviously great players as well. In fact, Joe Chan is going to sign for the. He signed for the Melbourne Storm. Melbourne Storm, year. hasn't he? Of course, yeah. that's Alex Chan's son, I believe, who I didn't yeah. realize was French. Or was he brought up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex he, so Alex, Alex Chan has played. Um, I think he's been in France since 2006, I think. So yep. Joe Chan is a French raised player come through the system in France. Um, his brother, Chaki could also play. Yep. He's, been, he's been playing in the Super League recently. I'm not sure. I think he might be one for 2025. Um, but yeah, look, there is so much talent in this. Catalans are one of the best teams in Super League. Obviously made the grand final last year, won the cup a couple of years before as well. So there's no lack of experience in Super League, in terms of Super League talent. And as, um, and as Trent said, the players that they've got now are crucially real key position players. Look, they lost Morgan Escaray to injury, actually in the mid-season test, I think he went off against yeah. Wales. Yeah. Um, but Arto Morg's a really exciting player. I think much as Morgan Escaray is, is also a very exciting player, look, the chance for Tony Gigo to play in a World Cup again, I don't think he played in 2017. Tony Gigo is one of my favourite players in the world. <laughs> you know, we mentioned in, this, in the Samoa episode how um, Andy Milford can be on or off. Tony Gico can be on or off on a whole different level. He is, you know, go and, go and stick his... Uh, in fact, I think I included it in the Raw's uh, preview of the French squad. They produced some highlights of him playing for Toulouse. And he, you watch the highlights and you think, this is the greatest rugby league player who has ever lived. And then you realise that that's the only thing he's done the whole season. He'll have 15 try assists and have done nothing else. But I can I confirm think- it is there. We'll leave a link in the show notes. But yeah, Tony Gigo, when he's on, he's on. He's probably a name that most NRL fans will kind of be familiar with, but not really. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. And, and there's probably a few of those in the French side, to be honest with you. Arthur Morg. He's probably more of a half, right? So I haven't really seen him play fullback. You've got him named as your fullback. Is that his best position? So it's hard to say because I think when he when he first came in, he was a fullback. And he's he's always been unfortunate in the sense that Morgan Esprit has always been there. And Morgan Esprit was France's best player for quite a long time, I think, in terms of consistently playing at a high level. And then, obviously, now Esprit is injured for France, but Sam Tompkins plays at fullback for the Catalans. So... Morg has often played at six. He's played off the bench a lot of the time. And he just comes on and he's electric. He's so fast off the mark. He's so elusive. And you just hope... Yeah, I, I think you'll get a run at one. But I think with him and Gigo, if they both play, then they're quite interchangeable in an attacking sense. It'll be interesting yeah. to see which way around they put them, yeah. actually. Because Gigo's played a lot of fullback as well. Um, but the key player is, is Teo Fage. Because Teo Fage, as a halfback, is, is so good. And he's now an experienced player. He's played in a champion team at St. Helens. He's now Huddersfield are 
probably the most improved team in Super League this year, and he's kind of their steering wheel. So um, you put him behind that pack. It's got Julian Busquet, Roman Navarrete, Ben Julian, Ben Garcia. Like it's, you know, Mikel Gunamon coming off the bench. It's pretty experienced pack. Yeah. Um, it's a big rough pack as well. And, and Farge, as you said, he's got that. He's, this is certainly his time. You know, it's his opportunity to really do some damage at a World Cup. We kind of wanted it to happen last World Cup. He didn't do too much. He's had a few injuries here and there, but of of course has had some great seasons, you know, with St. Helens and now he's moved on, as you've mentioned. But this is the World Cup that he really needs to take this French side and lead them to something special if they can do it. You've mentioned their forwards, their backs are decent as well. I'm really excited to see Paul Marcon. Uh, Samisoni Lange, who you've already mentioned, he qualifies via residency. He's been playing for Catalans for so long that he qualifies. He's actually um, a listener of the podcast. So he's a, he's a kangaroo chaser himself. So we've had a it's... few he, we've had a few conversations online and um, congratulated him when he you know was nationalised and he was pretty pumped to potentially be playing for France. He didn't play in that mid-season test, but I'm pretty certain he's going to be playing at the World Cup. So pretty, it's going to be great to see him. And you've also mentioned Fouad Yaha, who's um, the top try scorer for Catalans of all time. For anyone that doesn't watch Super League, this guy is big, he's strong, he's pretty fast. And he's the kind of player that, you know, if, if France only lost 50 to 12, he'd be the one that scores both their tries. You know what I mean? So I think he's he's definitely one to watch. And um, it, it is an exciting French side, I've got to say. It's very France, though. I think it's very France for them to then get drawn in a group with England and some Of course. <laughs> they, will, they, they do not have any luck in this regard, it has to be said. They often... Um, I actually, when I initially wrote this article, I thought, France don't have any luck. And then I remembered that the last game that they won in the World Cup, which was at Hull, it was at OKR, Craven Park, and it involved them. They won eight, I think nine, eight. And I want to say it was David Mee, but a PNG player missed a kick from in front of the posts. Yeah. That would have won them the game in oh. 2013. Um and so I was about to say they were very unlucky, but it's, that was such an incredibly low. It's like they got one huge piece of luck in two World Cups ago, and I've had none since. They um, certainly, yeah, they certainly haven't. And I've I've said the same thing. So I'm predicting they'll probably come third in their group, um, which I don't think is you know you know a tough thing to say. They've got England and Samoa. If you said it would take some massive upsets for them to to move higher, I'm not saying it's impossible. I mean, over there. Like you said, it's a, there's a lot of Super League talent. They've got Laurent Fresno as a coach on the ground who they will look up to. As you mentioned in your interview, he's he's their Wally Lewis. That's a big call, but you said it, and you know they will be looking up to Laurent. And of course, you've got the master, um, Trent Robinson, who is really you know pulling the strings from all facets of this squad. Not only the team, but the way they run, um, the 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 future as well. And I don't know if France are too worried about, you know, whether, of course, they'd like to make finals, but you get a sense from all the talk and from your little chat with Trent as well, France are very much approaching this World Cup as as preparation for 2025. There's a long-term view in France. It's something they haven't had in a while. And um, I'm excited to see, I guess, the seeds that are planted for the next World Cup, because I think next time around, they're going to be better for it. And I think we're going to be talking about them, you know, as, as, as you know, semi-finalists for sure. 
by the time we come around to it. So excited to see those seeds planted. I'm talking too much. Tell me if you agree or disagree, Mike. No, I think I think they will never say it because they want to win now. I think that's that's yep. clear. But we, I think, as an outsider looking in, they have to look at it and go twenty twenty five is the goal because they'll get, you yep. know, they'll get a different seeding in the groups, for example, because they host. I think they'll be seeded first, as as is normally the case. So they won't they won't have to face England and Samoa. They might get yep. one of them, and it's it is harsh on them because if you look at you know, I look at the group that Ireland are in, for example, or the group that PNG are in. Yeah. And if you put France in that position, they probably go through and they've just got a very bad draw. Um, but I think yeah. what could work in their favour is that obviously because England plays Samoa first, they then play Greece, which is theoretically the easiest game, their most winnable game. And then suddenly they're in a, you know, they're in a situation against Samoa where they've got everything to play for or yeah. against England on the last day where they've got everything to play for. So France is the sort of team that can aim up. Like there'll be no lack of passion, and I think they've never lacked passion in the past. They've always, you know, turned up. But then it's been crucial. Uh, you know, as Trent said, crucial positions. They've not had the experience. Probably going back to you won't remember Patrick Entar in the nineties. He was a no. uh, great French player of my youth. Loved Patrick Entar. Um, played for All FC briefly. But he was probably their last great seven. They've never had a seven really in between until. Um, yeah, you know, they had Lauren Frassenu, who was a great six, but didn't have a seven. Yeah, yeah. and then 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 they had Pradjugenta, who was a great seven, but they didn't have a six. So they, I think now they've got all of those positions. They've got players with a lot of experience. Um, you know, as we said about Samoa, they kind of don't have a nine or a thirteen. Well, Alex da Costa, Ben Garcia, great, good nine, good thirteen. Gigo Farge, Mark, no lack of creativity and experience. You know. Gigo's won a Landstad trophy, which is a pretty much the biggest individual, you know, that's our equivalent of the Clive Churchill medal. So yeah. on his day, he's the best player in the Challenge Cup final, which is pretty bloody good. Um, Morg, one of the most exciting talents in Super League, and Faj is one of the best halfbacks in Super League. So they've got all of this together. And I think crucially as well, they've played a lot together, yeah. which is not something that every team's going to be able to say. Like Samoa will have, the first time they ever played together, I don't know if they've got any warm-up games, but it could be against England on the first day. Whereas for France, they played a world and they played a mid-season, they played last season against England. They've, you know, roughly had all of their players play in youth groups together. A lot of them play every week together for the Catalans offer to lose. Like it's not going to be a problem that they have. And we've seen with the PNG Hunters, for example, how effective those combinations can be. And if you're going to pick 13 or 17 players and 13 of them come from the Catalans. Yeah. Like you're going to get some benefit out of that. And that's something that France will have. So tell me then, I, I'm not, I think we both probably predict they'll come third in this group, right? Am I right in saying that? Yeah. I think the talent disparity to Samoa is probably going to be France have got a terrible record against England. Yeah. Um, everything that I said about England and Australia, you could double <laughs> for France and England. Yeah. I think their, their record against England is historically terrible. Um, oh, certainly in my lifetime and Samoa I think will have maybe too much size I think that could be an issue yeah. for France because Samoa is just going to be such a big team um, and such a stacked team you know we're talking about them as potentially winners of the winning whole this whole thing yeah and I don't think France are quite on that level I do as I say I feel sorry that if they were in a group the group they took the place of Ireland or of PNG somebody like that or even where Fiji are like they probably would go through the group. They would go through. I think so. They're probably as well. like the seventh best team in the tournament out of out of um, sixteen. 
But this is almost a group of deaf, or you could probably say that about a few groups, depending on which nation you're talking about. Okay, so we think they're going to come third in their group. If they were to pull off the impossible and make it through to the final eight, who, at whose expense do France go through instead of? Well, that's a good question. So here, here's the ideal situation for France, right? Yep. England beat, England beat Samoa in the first game. They then have to go into face Samoa in the second game. They lose to Samoa. Oh, no, sorry. They, and they either ambush Samoa there or Samoa win the first game, beat France in the second game, and then England are already out. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> and so and they, they somehow shock England on the last day, which would be very on brand for England to like complete. Much as it's on brand for France to lose to England, it's also very on, on brand for England to throw these things away. So look, I can see a way that they can beat both France. France can beat both England and Samoa, but look, they're going to start as outsiders against both. And I think for France, it's a case of beat Greece as well as possible in the first game and then see where you end up. Because if they win... They haven't won a game since 2013, right? So I think winning a game will be a big victory for them, you know, in general. And they're lucky that their first game is theoretically their easiest game. And after that, it's two free hits, you know. So don't count them out. They've got a yeah. good team. But look, it would be everyone's dream, right? Everyone loves France. France is like P&G. They're two nations that every international rugby league fan would love to see cause some upset. So I'd love to see it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but, you know. We'll be backing him. Tell me a bit more about um, Alrix da Costa because I don't think a lot of fans on our side of the world will know much about him. But you you rate him as a nine. Um, tell us tell us a little bit about him. So there is a stereotype, I would say, <laughs> among uh, watchers of European rugby league that France have always got a hooker with tape around his ears and his socks round, rolled around his ankles, and naturally they will France will turn up the World Cup with two of these because El Wafilese <laughs> is playing as well. Um, yeah, no, he's good. He's a very good hooker. He, so he plays off the bench while Mickey McAlorum starts. Yep. Um, but he will probably start for France and El Wafilese, who plays that role off the bench for Toulouse, will come on. And look, they're both live wires. The cost is a bit more, he's a bit sort of stocky. He's very tough and he'll dish it out to the forwards. Like him and Julian Busquets will pass the ball one to the other 50 times and Busquets will run it in 50 times and he'll cause havoc. And, and then he'll go off for a bit and he'll, like say, he'll come on and be very zippy, probably drop the ball a few times, probably give a couple of penalties away, but maybe, you know, cause a few breaks down the middle, looking very French in the process. You know, you could go back a long way to Julian Rinaldi and all of these guys going back as long as you wanted to go back. I'm sure if my yeah. dad was here, he would go back to about 1970 and French hookers <laughs> who looked like that. Back so. when they were good. Back when they were gr- yeah. world beaters, I should say, not when they were good because they are a good side. Now, let me let me finally ask as well. So there's a couple of players that you've left out of your predicted France squad over at theraw.com.au, our partners in crime here at World Cup Chasers. And we'll have a link in the show notes, of course, but... Two players that you've left out of your squad that I'm interested to hear why or if there's a chance they could sneak in. So one is um, Toulouse half Lucas Albert, who's played for France before. He's you know had a season of Super League now uh, with Toulouse. What are your thoughts on, on Lucas potentially sneaking in? Yeah, so Lucas Albert's pretty good, but he yeah, he's a little bit flaky, I think, for one. Yeah. 
For two, um, Cesar Rouge is also there, who's playing for the Catalans off the bench, who is also a half. I think they've just got quite a lot of good halves. You know, they're going to play Morg, they're going to play Gigo Farge. Um, and I think Cesar Rouge will probably go as the other half option. And also Louis Jouffre is playing six for Halifax every single week in the championship. And I think he might be a chance as well, just because he plays more yeah. frequently than Albert does. And I have to say I'm biased because I know Louis' dad. <laughs> you know everyone. You're like the seven degrees of separation. Literally, literally the only one I know is Luke. It's Christophe Chiffre. But other... he, used, he used to run the Catalans back in the day. I'm not there sure what he does now. But he used to run the Catalans. So it's, there is some rugby league royalty running around there. But um, yeah, I think they might go for Louis Jouffre just because he, he plays that every single... So even though he plays down a division, yeah. he plays it every single week. And I think, yeah, I think Cesar Rouge will probably get in above him. Another one to look out for, though, he's been playing recently for the Catalans, is Corentin Lacam, okay. who is huge. You'll notice him, because I think he's two metres three. He's, mo- he's oh, two metres seven. He's an absolute monster. He plays in the centres as well. He's, he's, he's a big boy. Hold on, he, to- he played for Toulouse last year, didn't he? May, yeah, I feel like he was on loan there. I I'm remember not, he, to... I'm pretty sure I remember him playing in the um the million pound game when they were, when they were trying to get into Super League and he was it must be the same guy because he was he was the tallest man in rugby league worldwide um it must be Lacam and, yeah, and he's, he's huge he needs to be there just for the personality value just having the tallest guy in rugby league like and he play he's I mean he deserves it not only for that reason, like he's a good player as well. If it's if we're talking about the same guy, so I hope you're right about Lacan, man. Yeah, and I think it's it's worth mentioning as well. France have also got um, the sort of identical Jordan Desiree and Gadwin Springer, who are both sort of slightly roly poly, very large interchange <laughs> forwards. Yeah, who are also pure box office. Have you ever seen them play? Um, Gadwin Springer's at Castleford, I think. Before Desiree is um, once at Toulouse, once at Catalans. And they're also very entertainment value. Yeah. And I think they could be interesting because France's ability to change a game in the middle of it, the way off their bench, if they bring on Desiree, Springer, and then Policier, that is a massive change of pace within the game. And Busquets and Roman Navarat, who are going to play, who are probably going to start, are very sort of solid operators. And so the ability to bring on those two blokes and just unleash hell is... Um, yeah, the potential for that to be very fun is very high. Put it yeah, that well, way. another one in that vein. I don't know if he's going to make the squad. I hope he does because he's a kangaroo chaser. I've interviewed him before, and he he tore it up in the World Nines here in 2018. He's um Hakeem Maludi, who he hasn't played a lot. He's he's he is lower grades as well, but um really entertaining. Loves to have fun on the field. I think he's a bit of a crowd pleaser. I'd love to see him there. He's in your. He is in your. Your um, raw article as a probable or possible? No, as a probable? No, possible. No, yeah, he's a po- he's a possible because I think they've also. I think he could. He's got good utility value because yeah. he plays all across the back line. Yeah. Um. But he's yeah. He's playing. I think in the third or second grade I think championship or league. I think he's championship. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he's he's a he's a solid Instagram follower. Is Hakim like he's uh he's slightly nuts. Follow him if you don't. But um, look, it's probably the backs are probably too strong. But I'd love to see him there. But man, all right. So look, France, we're all excited. I think the 
the it's unanimous. It's a shame that they're in the group that they're in. They're probably going to come third. But if there's going to be an upset, this is where I want to see it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to say that you are right. They're kind of like the European equivalent of PNG, where everybody who yeah. thinks all things are good and right about national ability kind of wants France to do well, in the same way we all want the Commons to do well. Yeah. Except for when they play against each other, in which case it's quite a boring 8 9 game, <laughs> if I remember rightly, the last time they played against each other. Um, yeah, so Viva France, Allez Le Bleu. And I hope, I hope they bring a small chicken. Because that's what they used to do. They used to let a cockerel out on the touchline. I've seen this happen. You know, like I told you, Ireland used to have a dog on the bench. Okay. France used to have a chicken. Uh, I, they're called Les Chanticleers, which means the roosters. Of course. Probably why Trent Robinson's involved. Of course. Uh, so they, the cockerels, I think it actually means. But um, I hope they bring a chicken. I hope they bring a chicken. I hope they cause an upset. And Mike, who have we got next time, mate? Who, can we can we leave a spoiler? We're into Group B next time. I can't remember which group. Which is Group B? Who's in Group B? <laughs> group B is Tonga and PNG. So no, we are going to go to New Zealand next. All right, and uh, well, we oh, had. Yeah, we could tri- go to Tonga. Do you want to go to Tonga? Do you want to go to New Zealand? Let's go to New Zealand because how are we going to beat Trent Robinson as our feature interview? Why don't we go one of his players when we're talking New Zealand? What do you reckon? I think we could. I think we could have a certain Joseph Manu. Well, you just gave it away. Spoiler alert. Joey Manu. We'll be back next week with our look into the New Zealand Kiwi squad, a side that could win the whole thing, and your interview with a player who could be player of the tournament, in my opinion, Joey Manu. So, Mike, uh, looking forward to that. Of course, you bring in the big guns. Thanks to theraw.com.au. And, Mike, thanks for chasing kangaroos with me once again this week. Merci et au revoir.